0: And I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Not too long after the invention of film, filmmakers began finding ways to put common emotions to the big screen, like happiness in comedies, sadness in dramas, and love in romance films. And of course, we can't forget fear in horror films. Horror films hold a very important place in film history and is a genre that oftentimes uses a disguised mirror to society to source scares. And one of the disguises use is the movie monster. Creature features, if you will. Beasts, mummies, lab-grown monsters, aliens and vampires have been terrifying and or arousing, depending on who you ask, audiences for decades. And this week we're taking a look into a brief-ish history of the movie monster. So if that sounds good to you? Let's get started. So I do want to lay the groundwork here that movie monster is going to be quite the umbrella term for all of the things that we're going to be covering. So a movie monster is going to be as traditional, I guess, as... Frankenstein or Nosferatu or Dracula, all the way up to beings like King Kong and Godzilla, all the way until the present day with beings like Jean Jacket. So I do want to say this is kind of an an oscillating definition of movie monster, not really like a very fixed idea of a creature, but it's going to mean a lot of different things as we move forward in the timeline. And that's mainly due to the fact that societal fears and anxieties morph and so do our ideas of what will scare us so enough preamble let's get going so we begin really in the 1920s that's where a lot of the first monster movies slash movie monsters could be found um Domestically in the United States, one of the first forays, I guess, into monster movies were coming from Universal. So Universal Studios is probably most known as the home of the movie Monster, and we'll get to that when we get to the 1930s. But their first forays into monster films or monster adjacent films, uh, basically featuring humans in an otherworldly way. Uh, Now, again, there there are definitely some ableist. Overtones that could be read in both of these films, but for argument's sake, they were considered to be kind of primordial monster movies with The Hunchback of Notre Dame and with The Phantom of the Opera. Now, famously, both of these films featured Lon Chaney, who was the man of a thousand faces, and he was playing a lot of monsters during this time i do want to note and we'll get to it when we get to dracula and frankenstein but movie monsters were not considered to be and it goes in tandem with what we've talked about on this show before which is the idea that for so long uh actors weren't really known like their names weren't as you know prominent and prolific you kind of just recognize them from the different things that they were in and there wasn't a preciousness to one actor being one you know character like if the actor was popular enough and people recognized the face enough they would put that actor in multiple different films and then the case of lon chaney his work and the work that he did as far as you know morphing into these characters via makeup which to this day i do think and i think he did his own makeup and there it's still like quite the mystery of how he did the things that he was doing to his face in order to become like you know the phantom and quasimodo um i do think that it was kind of like understood that he was doing things that you probably shouldn't do to your face um i know that for one role he put like wire in his face something crazy but he always was very tight-lipped about the products and the techniques that he would use to morph um, into all of these monsters you know that's how he got the moniker of a man the man of a thousand faces because he was able to truly turn into anyone and no one really knew how he did it but it kind of starts there this is where our our journey is going to begin and really there's always been i think and there is a really great article from smithsonian magazine that talks about this where like Movie monsters have always kind of been steeped or run concurrently with an interest in science or a fear of science in some type of way. And that's why I think horror and science fiction run, they're kind of interchangeable depending on who you ask. Um, But there's oftentimes an element of science or an element of, you know, a fear of science which can branch out into a fear of technology, a fear of nature, all of those things, and those things begin to blossom as time goes on. But the kind of prototypical monster movie, movie monster, begins around this time domestically. Now across the pond we have films like Nosferatu, which still is held up as, the pinnacle of what movie monsters are and what a monster movie is it kind of lays that groundwork for how those films would go the different beats of them and then that film makes its way over to the states and you know people are rightfully so terrified um the german expressionism movement that was happening obviously in germany played a major role in how movie monsters and monster movies would be made and would be Taken in by audiences, and so it really starts there. That's kind of where this foundation is being laid. When we move into the 1930s, that is the kind of the formal birth of the movie Monster, again coming from Universal Studios. So from Universal alone, we got films like Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, The Mummy, all of the Thus, Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. You get all these films that become like the idea of a movie monster like when we think about the genre of of horror you really can't negate the impact of those films and they were all coming from from Universal and I think Universal still kind of has that reputation of being one of the big studios of like one of the big five or big four studios that has always embraced horror and it's really because horror save them in a lot of ways i think around that time universal was really struggling as a as a studio and you know you kind of need that big hit to come through and and that was what horror was it was kind of the the house that movie monsters are really the house that universal built in a lot of ways um and around this time also you know from a historical sense you have people wanting to escape and wanting to experience a little bit of escapism and so They go to the theater and are enraptured in these stories of you know Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and there is a sense of being somewhere else and obviously around this time what's happening uh the great depression and people are really having a very difficult time with very real things and so the movies as it has always been uh becomes a form of escapism around this time now, I keep mentioning their names, but I do want to hone in on two of these films specifically, and that's Frankenstein and Dracula. So Dracula was amongst the first of the Universal monster movies to, to come out, and Dracula is played by Bela Lugosi, and Bela Lugosi was playing Dracula, I think, on stage and then came over to the States, and uh, Universal was like, we want you in this film and essentially the role is made for him uh logosi is hungarian and he's from a city called logos uh so that's where his last name his stage name comes from logos logosi you get it um and so he comes over and he is a star dracula's a hit people love him ladies are sending in letters asking to be one of dracula's next victims like he is charismatic he's got this like you know suaveness to him on screen and people love it people are enraptured by dracula and that's something that becomes pretty indicative of vampires as time goes on as i've talked about many times and we'll probably talk about on um, this episode again um but bella lugosi is kind of he's at the top of the world and like i mentioned earlier where there wasn't this real preciousness at the time to have one actor play this one role and then not really do anything else um because Dracula is a big hit universal is like okay Bella is our star we have this other movie coming up um and we would like for him to to be the star and that other movie is Frankenstein and Bella being a little bit you know i think what we would consider to be a bit of a diva um was originally signed on to the film but had a lot of hesitations and was really just flat out not really for it because Frankenstein, the monster, doesn't have a lot of lines. He's kind of just like moaning and groaning and he Bella really wanted to flex his his acting muscles. He wanted to show that he is a thespian. He comes from the stage, so he's classically trained and he can't have his talent wasted on a role where he's not really saying anything. And so he kind of tries everything that he can do, everything in his power to get out of the film. And eventually he does. And so Universal is left to find a new actor to play Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. Um, That is a common thing. I think it happens a lot. um, But if no one's ever said it, this is a judgment-free zone. But Frankenstein is not the monster. Frankenstein is the man. The monster is literally, he's just called the monster. He doesn't really have a name. So there you go um but they needed someone to play the monster and so enter boris Karloff. boris Karloff is a uh an actor from the silent era he's been in a bunch of films i think frankenstein ends up becoming his 81st film that he had ever done and i think he was just sitting in the universal <laughs> cafeteria and he was kind of he was a working actor so when he wasn't getting small little bit parts and things he was driving cars and you know doing what a lot of people do um which is you know you have to work a couple jobs to make ends meet and so he's discovered in the cafeteria and i think the director of frankenstein said that he had a face of many possibilities like many horrific possibilities i don't know how i would personally take that i'd be like feeling like a creative way to call me ugly but one you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but, um, Karloff is, is then cast in the role of Frankenstein and he is transformed into the monster. Really they're creating the monster from the ground up. So the kind of caricature of Frankenstein, if you like close your eyes and picture what you think Frankenstein looks like, um, within pop culture, that is essentially just Boris Karloff's face, like he is so intrinsically tied with the identity of Frankenstein that the face that we associate with the monster, the face that you can get, you know, on a a mask at Party City, that is Boris Karloff's face. And so Frankenstein becomes this smash hit. People love it. And Boris Karloff overnight becomes this star. Obviously that sends Bela Lugosi over the edge he's like what the hell (laughs) this is not fair and so for so long in their career there's a really great article that i'll link um in this episode because we'd be here forever if i went through the whole history but for basically the rest of their lives there's kind of this like cat and mouse chase but it's really one-sided where lugosi kind of lamenting over karloff's success because he would then go on to play Frankenstein more he would be the mummy again um I think there was a an instance where Legosi was given the opportunity to play the mummy and he turned it down for another role Karloff took the mummy role and now again the original mummy movie from uh Universal is Karloff so he is two of these massive you know Universal movie monsters and Bella is one so you know blah blah um but for the rest of their careers like Lugosi would kind of very much try to have this, you know, rock star persona and spend a lot of money and, you know, was like, I am an actor, I'm a star. And Karloff, you know, remained this very humble guy. And Karloff was the one who got all of the success. He would then go on and be able to break out of the horror genre and do other films and other roles. Um, It is important to note that Lugosi felt that his it was kind of xenophobia that was bubbling underneath the surface here, um, because Lugosi was an immigrant who had a thick accent, and so he felt that that kept him from a lot of roles. Whereas Karloff was British, and you know he didn't have as heavy of an accent, and it or it was an accent that was more accepted. Um, but and basically, until they both passed away, they were kind of like going back and forth, but it was really Bella, I think, chasing that big opportunity that he kind of turned his nose up to and he never really made a full recovery from from that moment on um but it from everything that i read it's it feels like karloff never held any real resentment towards legosi and always tried to help him and be a friend to him but legosi was a bit prideful in his way and that's you know it, it happens it happens Um, But that's just a little side tangent. It's very interesting. Their kind of back and forth is very, very fascinating. Um, And it's just, it's Hollywood, baby. You know, you turn down a role and you're like, ugh, that's not, that's never going to go anywhere because I'm not attached to it and then it does and you're like, great. But. But also in the 30s, we're getting great strides in technology with creature features and monster films with King Kong, which is had like landmark revolutionary stop motion animation from Ray Harryhausen of, you know, the titular Kong. And that basically King Kong, again, in in tandem with Dracula and the mummy and Frankenstein became uh this like the pinnacle of what we understand a movie monster to be so like the classic movie monsters are born of this time and are carry on a legacy essentially up until till now we still revisit these these narratives and we revisit these characters quite a bit and we will see more instances of them as we we move along so moving through the 40s, we still have these universal monster films, but by the 50s, we get the insurgents of Godzilla. And Godzilla is, depending on who you ask, the, like, he is the movie monster um, and is ideal Id- of a form of what a monster movie is. And so like I said, the movie monster is going to be as humanoid as Dracula or as massive in scale as as Godzilla. It kind of just, it just depends on where we are in history. But Godzilla really opens the door for the discussion of kind of the societal ideas that are tied to these monsters. Now, of course, with Dracula and Frankenstein and the mummy, there were societal fears attached to it. But in Godzilla's case, the Japanese history tied to the character really plays a massive role in the narrative purpose of of the monster. It wasn't just like, ah, big scary dinosaur monster, but there were some real historical ties to this creature that played a very massive role in how these films were received. And again, similar to the other monster that I mentioned. Godzilla really is is an evergreen monster you can make a new Godzilla movie right now and it may not do like you know massive numbers but people will still flock to go and see it because you know what you're getting with with that type of monster movie you know and kind of speaking in the same realm of societal fears and societal pressures and the things that go along with horror films in general we begin to get a lot of like b-movies that touch on ideas of racism and homophobia and misogyny as these identities are beginning to um make waves and have these massive social movements around the the 50s slash the 60s um so you get films like night of the living dead you get all of these films that really you know bring into vogue these societal Tensions that are happening in real life and are bringing them to the screen and are able to serve as commentary on what's going on and ultimately, I think could probably help people who weren't fully abreast to what was happening. they observe it within the context of this film and they may get it or they may not get it, but it does it is reflective of the time period in that a lot of people were working their own social fears and anxieties and unrest into these genre films. And that's why genre film always finds a lot of comfort in societal commentary. Um, That's where I think it's always been like that since the beginning, but really the 50s and 60s, I think we see a massive insurgence of that within the narrative of monster films. And that legacy carries on pretty much until today. So of course once we get to the the 70s and 80s the idea of the movie monster gets bigger and realer in a lot of ways not necessarily going in tandem with one another but separately so the movie monster makes it big and what i mean by that is the blockbuster so one of the biggest movie monsters of the 70s was a great white shark which has always existed it's always been around but it wasn't until we get jaws from Steven Spielberg which is the movie credited with creating the blockbuster that we get this creature that's always been around turned into what feels like this otherworldly beast and creates a real life ripple effect of people being terrified of of sharks in real life and unfortunately that's contributed to um i think a kind of a an issue with people being, you know, going after sharks um out of fear of what they saw in jaws and i know a lot of people have said that they have family members who saw jaws for the first time in theaters and still have a fear of the ocean and a fear of of sharks because of that film. So the movie monster doesn't just become something that stays on screen but it becomes something that seeps its way into our our regular life and i think that is blown up in the 80s when it becomes about uh films that are centered around movie monsters who are like dormant objects or inanimate objects like you know chucky and and gremlins and things like that but you know within the 70s you get this regular being this regular animal um that becomes a movie monster and it really you start to get films that touch on the man versus nature aspect of the monster movie genre or subgenre i should say and that is a prevailing fear that we see played out in horror quite a bit but the movie monster does also get pretty real and so that's when we see this kind of uptick in uh serial killer horror films um and it's i went back and forth with whether i wanted to include you know someone like leatherface or jason or freddy krueger in this mix and for the sake of what we're talking about yes i'm going to include them but you can make an argument for how they are kind of different types of monsters or more realistic or how they don't really adhere to a movie monster in the same way as a frankenstein or a dracula but that's a conversation for another day and i don't even know if i'm the best person to have that conversation with to be fair but <laughs> the movie monster does get real and really just in the seventies film as a whole got super duper real. Um, we begin to see this massive uptick in just, of almost like adherence to gritty, um, dramas and crime films and horror is very, you know, gruesome and bloody. It's not as buttoned up. Um, and I think because in the years following the original crop of movie monsters horror took a uh, turn for the campy and the funny and kind of weird and you can really see the frayed edges of those films and then by the 70s there was this want and desire to have these almost like akin to snuff films in a way like have this really aggressively realistic view of of horror and eventually that kind of begins to relax a little bit. We don't see it crop back up until the 2000s, really. But in the 70s, there was just in filmmaking as a whole, there was this need to be real and this need to show authenticity and show a real danger that could that could happen. And so that's when you get uh, a Michael Myers. That's when you get a Leatherface who are these like seemingly they're these humans who, you know, lose it and go on these war paths and these are really really real fears and that were being mirrored in real life within uptick of serial killers um that were amongst us in society so again it's that art imitating life life imitating art type of thing as we move towards the 80s and 90s our fears leave between us being scared of each other and more of us being scared of our creations in that, you know, we're scared of inanimate objects in our house. So you get Chucky, who is a doll who becomes murderous and goes on these different rampages. But we also get a fear of automation with films like Terminator. And, you know, what's scarier in T-1000 than a robotic cop? Still a terrifying omen. Um, And then by the 90s, again, with Spielberg coming back around You get a fear of nature versus science and the fear of this, I think, in a larger scale thing, if we're looking at the tie between the 80s and 90s and what all of these films have in common, there is this fear of how we are playing into this larger narrative. And really, it's a fear of corporatization. The 80s, if you look at a film like American Psycho, there was this massive you know kind of glut of opulence and wealth and you know money and corporate corporatizing things and automation and what that means and all of these films kind of tie have that little loose tie amongst them jurassic park is one of my favorite movies uh in general but i don't really often think about it as a horror film but from the implications of what's being done at engine in the movie. Uh, It is a horror film because it is a, you know, man who has more money than God, it seems, who is trying to take nature into his own hands and use it for his own nefarious purposes. And you get that famous line from Ian Malcolm, which is like, you are so obsessed with whether you could, you never stop to consider if you should, as far as trying to manufacture dinosaurs for public consumption in a way like trying to make a disneyland with dinosaurs like that is that's an insane thing to do um or an insane thing to want to do but when you have so much wealth and so much money there was this feeling that if you had more money than anyone else you could kind of do whatever you want and again there's that that societal fear and that societal worry of of um of wealth and money and power and those who have all of that over us the 2000s kind of ladders back to the 70s in a weird way where it's the movie monster getting realer but because society is getting scarier and it's not the movie monster getting realer in a way that is like one entity like a leatherface or a michael myers wreaking havoc but it's more of a broader scope of 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 scares that are taking place. Um, So a really big thing that takes place in in this time period for the genre of of horror and the monster doesn't really become a person but so much as an idea is this uptick in found footage Um, and that is due to an uptick in in the use of the internet as a thing that we just all use Um, More people are seeing scarier things as because of the internet and the scope of the internet. And also in a post 9-11 scenario, a lot of things that didn't, that were maybe scary to us before as a society may not be as scary because reality has eclipsed what was considered to be scarier in a pre 9-11 world in a way. And so the movie monster, I think, becomes very metaphoric and very, um, figurative in a way. It doesn't become like a a thing or a person, but it's just almost like this prevailing thought or notion, just a cloud kind of looming over. Um, and it's these instances that are incredibly gruesome. Um, and it's almost like we're trying to, Not to become, you know, to wax poetic, but it's like we're trying to feel something. And so you get these really, really gruesome films like, you know, The Wolfman is not going to scare audiences in in this time period. But the idea of being behind a tractor trailer full of logs that could potentially go through your car window shoe, that is a much scarier monster, I think, to, to audiences around this time. The 2010s and 2020s is is one of my favorite at times i think for the movie monster um because we get to the idea that we are the monsters but we also love our monsters so the idea that we are the monsters is i think best exemplified with the works of of jordan peele jordan peele is a master at his craft he's amazing at what he does and in just three films has been able to really show people And kind of put a, a doing what horror is set out to do, which is put the mirror to society and, you know, you are terrified of your reflection. That is what he does with his films. And so Get Out, obviously the racial aspects of the film show us that these are real, like these are real people. They're not monsters in the ways of a, a vampire like Dracula or a mummy or a creature from said Black Lagoon these are regular people doing things that are incredibly realistic and the racialized horror aspect of it is both otherworldly but also incredibly grounded and it shows that like these things aren't too far off they're not far away from us they're not you know like a vampire is something that we don't know that it exists or not but racism very real and very much so exists and is a incredibly real, the terrifying uh, fear. And same goes even for uh, Nope, which is probably the most out of this world of his three films that focus in on a, a character like Jean Jacket, which is basically the embodiment of nature. And Peel, what I love about Nope is that Peel kind of harkens back to. This Spielbergian notion of you know like nature versus man, um, which is to say that you cannot control nature as man. You may enter an agreement with nature, but there is no instance where man can overtake nature in the way that it can fully manipulate and control it. Um, because if nature chooses to fight back, it will, and so that is what Gene Jacket is. I mean, it's best seen in the in the scene with uh, Jupe who thinks that he's been taming this this creature uh, known as jean jacket who was kind of this flying saucer type being um he thinks he's been taming this creature this whole time and is going to use it for the purposes of you know capitalism as with everything and that is not the case and Jean Jacket decides, actually, I'm going to eat you and eat everyone in this vicinity simply because I can, and that's what goes on. And that is the this this eternal fight of man versus nature that we tend to see. Um, and so, while Jean Jacket is this you know overt movie monster, and that you know it, it, towards the end he, or she, they kind of looks you know like this beautiful. Balloon, almost, but for the most part, we think it's like a flying saucer that is full of uh little aliens that are gonna come down, but it's really just you know the saucer is the is the is the monster, but that's aside the point. we're not talking about nope um I think I have a whole episode talking about nope <laughs> um but that is that's our monster, but the monster is not just the monster but it's also the social commentary that goes with said monster, the fear of and the the horror of spectacle is just as prominent of a monster as Jane Jacket is. And that's kind of where we are today, you know, like, of course, throughout the entirety of the movie monster history, we revisit, um, stories that we've always revisited like vampires and mummies and Frankenstein. Like there's a new Guillermo del Toro Frankenstein that's coming out pretty soon. Um, or hopefully, I think probably next year, pending everything going on. Um, But we're constantly infatuated with these stories and we always return to them because there is a sense of comfort, weirdly, in in the movie Monster. And it's just a, a fascinating bit of film history. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of afternooners. If you don't know, the afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. If you had a good time, it helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The African Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at hi i am bobby h i i m b o b b i and if you're thinking Bobby, I need to go and look up Bella Lugosi's and Boris Karloff's entire history together. I'm not going to remember all of that. Don't you fret. I've put all that information in the description box down below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you will join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Mimi Leakes, Teresa Judai and kenya moore each episode we will rehash shocking portrayals honey yes hilarious shade and all the drama reality with the king podcast is available wherever you get your podcast hi just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you if so Join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.